Welcome back to the Crash Course Podcast. My name is Craig Crash Collins, joined this week by Chris Simmons from Indiana SRN. You've heard him before on the show. Uh, Real quick before we get into things, the reason why Chris is joining us this week is because uh, B. Scott is having some more uh, issues within his family. Um, I don't want to, you know, I don't know how much he wants me to give detail-wise, so I'll keep that under wraps, but uh, prayers go out to him um, and his family right now. They're going through some uh, tough times, so uh, he is, uh, he stepped away for at least this week, so uh, hopefully everything um, turns out well. but Chris, uh, happy to have you on, especially because we're going to be talking about some baseball on a very important day for yeah. us as baseball fans. Oh, we're man. both Cubs fans, uh, and of course, uh, yeah. If you couldn't four. tell, uh, and yeah, four, four, yeah, for them four, yeah, four years ago, uh, this past week, uh, it was is it today? Today, yeah, second, yeah, the Cubs second into the third. It was gotcha. we, get to, we get to celebrate it for two days. It's a right. two day celebration. Yeah. Uh, dude, a day with the, with the Cubs winning the World Series, a day where uh, literally I I came home from work after it was the Cubs were already leading because I was at work when Dexter Fowler hit the leadoff home run. Uh, I sat down on the couch uh, in my living room and I did not let myself get up from that spot until the final out was recorded and a lot of emotions yeah. uh, poured out over the next yeah. like five hours. So that day, yeah, uh, obviously super special day for for me and for generations of Cubs fans. I was also working uh, that night. I actually worked. I had to work until 11 that night. Uh, could not get off. Uh, tried to leave early. Your wife actually would not let me leave early because <laughs> it would have left her by herself. So it's fine. I'm definitely still not holding a grudge. It's okay. <laughs> took my I took my lunch super duper late to at least watch the first hour of the game on right. my phone at work. So I'm sitting in Subway at work when Dexter Fowler hits the leadoff home run. Yeah, and I'm screaming in Subway, and everyone is like. You know, there was two reactions. There was what the hell's going on and what, what happened in the game. Like, like they, like a lot of people knew obviously what was going on and knew that I was a big Cubs fan. So they're like, wait, what happened? What, you know, Fowler lead off shot. And then I come home at, I'm literally sitting in the car in the parking lot, still watching the game on my phone. Cause I wasn't driving. I didn't drive and watch the game. <laughs> Why not? Cause uh, you call yourself a true fan. I'm trying to stay alive to see them win. And I am, I'm sitting in the parking lot in the bottom of the eighth inning and I watch cause I just seen Brandon Geyer double and, you know, get it, get, you know, close the gap a little bit. And I was like, Oh, I was like, okay, Chapman's going to get out of it. He's still got two outs. He's already got two outs. Like it's fine. And I'm sitting in the driveway in the passenger seat and, and Raji Davis hits that just rocket line drive down the left field line that just hits the camera. You know, I'll never forget seeing that ball hit the camera basically and the camera going to do a full 360, tie the game up. And I just, you know, felt so deflated for a moment. And then, you know, it was just like, well, you know, it's still a tie game. Like, get out of the inning. Like, we're going to be okay. And sure enough, you know, went inside, went up to my room, got through the game on and was able to sit there and, and, and not move until, yeah, through that whole ninth and tenth inning. Basically, you know, that the cartoon nail biting, chattering yeah. the whole time for about half an hour, 45 minutes there. Didn't move during the 17 minute rain delay either. But yeah, super fun day, super crazy day. We'll, uh, we'll obviously never, ever forget that one. Super special. Well, and, you know, last week, uh, you know, a week ago from today when this podcast comes out, because, you know, obviously from you're listening to it on the audio version, uh, it's Tuesday. A week ago from uh, Tuesday, uh, was a special night for Dodgers fans. Uh, the Dodgers win the 2020 World Series. Uh, they were 43 and 17 on the year. Uh, Rays were 
40 and 20, both number one seeds. So, you know, B Scott and I talked about it and you and I had talked about it a few times, like, Oh, what's going to happen in a shortened season? Are we going to get, you know, the giants and the blue Jays, <laughs> yeah. and, you know, whatever. And uh, it, instead, I mean, are not only two teams that were the two best teams this season, but also were two of the best teams from, you know, Dodgers been one of the best yeah. teams in the league for a while. And the Rays have had a couple of great seasons here, even before 2020. So, um, you know, the Dodgers take uh, game one, uh, eight to three, the Rays win game two. Blake Snell pitches really well. That will come back later in the series as well. Uh, Dodgers win game three. Look to be in the driver's seat uh, to take a 3-1 series lead, but then one of the craziest finishes uh, in World Series history happens um, where, uh, you know, Brett Phillips, uh, former Brewer. Mm-hmm. Um, sure so is. I know that makes Chris happy. Um, uh, he, he hits a single that is bobbled by Chris Taylor. Randy Rosarena is sent around third. He stumbles, uh, but uh, the throw uh, is uh, well. The throw is uh, a little like a kind of a lame duck throw from Muncie, and then Will Smith tries to make like a swipe tag, misses the tag, loses the ball, um, and uh, and Ro- Rosarena scores, and the Rays tie the series up. Uh, if you want to see a breakdown of that, John Boy, uh, one of the guys that I. Um, you know, follow uh, on YouTube and social media. You should go check him out. Um, he uh, has a pretty good breakdown of it, where it kind of goes like you know, event by event in that last finishing uh, finishing play. But that ties the series up. Honestly, thought at that point that might have been a big blow for the Dodgers because oh, yeah. I mean, how do you not? I mean, here we go again. Yeah. With, you know where you know that because last year, I mean, they you know, we're on track to be, you know, the same thing where sure. you know, they were on track to be a world series team. And then they run into the Cinderella nationals, you know, they ran into a bus, all of the Red Sox, they ran into the cheating Astros. So, yeah. uh, you know, here we go again, another, another thing that's stacked against us, but they rally, um, they win game five, four to two. And then in game six, they, they end up winning three to one. The big mm. uh, controversy was Blake Snell being pulled after 73 pitches. Another thing that I watched in a John Boy video was the fact that, you know, because obviously the move stinks because Snell was pitching well. And right. yes, you had Mookie Betts coming up, but actually Mookie Betts was worse not only worse the third time through the order, which is why they pulled Snell because analytics third time through the order, you got to pull your starting pitcher. Yep. Uh, but Blake Snell was not that much worse second to third time through the order. And Mookie Betts actually gets worse the further, the more he sees a pitcher huh. and was is worse against left-handed pitchers than he is okay. again than he was against right-handed pitchers who they brought in a righty Nick Anderson, who's been bad all postseason um, <laughs> or at least the last two rounds. Um, and he ends up giving up a hit, ends up, uh, blowing up for the Dodgers or blowing up for the Rays. Um, and that's what kind of put the, the final kind of nail in the coffin. Yeah. Julio Urias, um, finishes, uh, who I've been a big fan of finishes off, um, finishes off the last two and a third innings. Um, and yeah, and Corey Seager wins the MVP. He went eight for 20 with two home runs, five RBI, a 400 average, six walks. Uh, the person I'm, you know, especially excited for is Clayton Kershaw because we've equated to him a lot of times as the Peyton Manning of yeah. uh, baseball where like, he's got all this regular season stuff. He's clearly one of the best ever just doesn't have one yeah. that little like, you know, notch under his belt. Um, and he finally gets a win. He had a good postseason too. He had a good world series. He went yeah. 11 and two thirds innings, which equates to a two, three, one ERA 14 strikeouts to just three walks. So Clayton Kershaw pitched a phenomenal world series, finally gets his ring. Very excited for that. 
Um, and yeah, I thought it was a, a fun World Series. It never really felt in doubt. Um, I was more concerned um, for both teams, really. I was well, especially for the Dodgers. I was more concerned when they went down three one to the to the Braves than I ever felt at any point. Sure. Uh, during that postseason uh, or during that World Series, because you know, even with as devastating of a blow as Game Two was or Game Four was, with the crazy you know walk off um, you know finish, they still came back strong and 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 you know came out you know swinging out of the gate because um, I think they led. I think they led like from the very beginning in that game five. In game five, I think they scored two or three in the top of the first, or right. bottom of the first, whatever it was. Right. Justin Turner hit that solo like leadoff shot, and I That's mean, right. yeah, that that absolutely. I mean, reminiscent of Dexter Fowler and what he did for the Cubs when he when he would lead off with a hit or or obviously a home run. I mean, it just it it it, it revitalizes the whole team right out of the gate and gives them that kind of that second win. Seems crazy to think about in the first inning, but but that's what it does. Right, right. So, uh, you know, so it kind of set the tone that like, hey, the Dodgers aren't going to miss a beat here. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, even though the series was technically close, you know, and I'm glad that it went six. It was a fun World Series to watch, but it just mm-hmm. never felt like because, you know, throughout the whole Astros and National Series last year, you never um, you never really thought or like you never had one way or the other a feeling yeah. what the Astros or, or Nationals were going to win. Um, I mean, kind of reminded me a little bit of the Red Sox and the Dodgers where like, even though I want in that series, I wanted the Dodgers to win too. And, you know, don't tell B Scott that, um, <laughs> but uh, you know, even though I wanted them to win, they it still never felt like they really stood a chance against that Red Sox yeah, team. That Red Sox team is, I mean, I don't know who, I don't know who all, I mean, maybe not all time, but I don't know who you're going to put up against them to, to, to beat them in a seven and game series real quick pop quiz we know mookie betts was on both of these uh, both the 2018 and 2020 uh 2018 red sox 2020 dodgers world series champions uh who is the other member of that 2018 team actually there's two other members of that 2018 red sox team that won a world series with the dodgers this year this year um yeah. can well, you name them see. i probably can't let's see Probably going to be some obscure pitcher, bullpen pitcher that I have no idea. No, I can't well, think of who it is. Joe Kelly and David Price. Oh, Do- David Joe Price David, for sure. Okay, yeah, yeah. In the Mookie trade, and, and the, then yep, and then Joe Kelly came along. You're right. Yeah. So very cool. Very, very um, cool. Yeah, and and it also also the move to take out Blake Snell, like hmm. that kind of also reminds me of Game uh, Seven of last year's World Series where Granky was rolling. They took pulled. they they took him out, and then they brought in Will Smith, who also was ha- uh, or Will Harris, who also yes. had been having some struggles through the postseason. So I was, mean, he's the one that gave up the shot to Kendrick, right? right? But also, but just the fact that like, right. why no, are they going to Will Harris? You know, he struggled all postseason. You have yeah. Cole, who like literally yes. had gone to the bullpen. Yeah. You know, why did they make that specific move? So it's, I mean, it, 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 as like you said, and when you're talking about this year and that Snell move, it's all it all boils down to the analytics and the numbers now, which is a good thing, but obviously not a perfect science as sports in general keeps proving you. I mean, it, sports are never going to get boiled down. That's kind of the beauty of them. They're right. never going to get boiled down to, well, if you make this decision, here's the outcome 100% of the time. Right. It's, it's not going to be like that. So, right. I it, mean. And it's it, it's kind of going to be what we talk about actually later when we talk a little bit about the Colts sure. in the sense that like sometimes you have to, like even if you don't typically do something, sometimes you just have to go with your gut and, and go with what you're seeing in front of you. So like, yeah. yes, you know, obviously – you know, it is, I don't think, I don't think anyone, it's kind of like with, again, going back to Grinky the year prior, like it's kind of like no one would have faulted 
uh, AJ Hinch was leaving in Zach Greinke in game six or game seven last year. Just like no one would have faulted Blake's like if, yeah. if, if Kevin Cash had been like, all right, you get Mookie. And if you can't get Mookie out, then you're done. Right. Then that makes a little bit more sense than, or, you know, that still I think is, is more passable than we're not even going to let you see Mookie, yeah. you know, whatever. And, and so like, sometimes you just got to kind of take that chance. And just because it's something you don't typically do yes. doesn't mean it's something you should never do. Yeah. And, and I think baseball more than any other sport, I've said it before, I'll say it again. Um, it is, is absolutely when you look at it, it's such a reactionary when you talk about it. Well, of course it was the wrong decision to pull Snell because it didn't work out. Right. Whereas if they had pulled Snell and whoever they brought in got out of it, well, it's the right move then where, I mean, that's not how I know. That's not how you look at it or I look at it. When we talk about things, even just off the air in general, you know, we're very, well, I don't think it was the right decision. Even if it worked out, they got lucky. It shouldn't yeah. have worked out or whatever, or they made the right decision. Sometimes hey, the baseball just, it happens. You, you roll with it. I mean, so that's the thing that the biggest reason I have a problem with, with the pulling of Snell in game six is I had a problem with it as soon as it happened right before, before Mookie did what he did and everything happened. I said, no, it's not the right move. I understand like you're essentially in a game seven, you can't make a mistake. And well, what if my guys rattled and I can't, I can't leave them in too long. Yeah. But you also, you pulled them too short. Like you, you didn't leave them in there long enough. Yeah. I, I felt in the moment. And then not that I felt vindicated that I was right. Right. Cause I was pulling for the raise, right. but that's one of those that like, I'm, I'm saying it was a bad decision now because I said it when it happened before the results came out. And, and Snell had already shown you earlier in that, in, in this world series that yeah. he can pitch well against because he didn't pitch, he pitched really well for only pitching four and a third innings. He yeah. pitched really well in game two as well. Yeah. And, and yeah, it's, it's just kind of, it's kind of crazy how it all works out. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, you know, Snell pitched really well. I mean, and, and you think about it like him, Blake Snell and Charlie Morton and I mean, Tyler glass now has shown a little bit more, but like, sure. those are like, your main guys. Those are yeah. your main starting pitchers. Not like you threw out, you know, yeah. you know, one of your like start, like, you know, mm-hmm. your openers. Yeah. And, exactly. and he, you know, gave up a hit in the first strike. Oh wait, got to pull. Well, go. Yeah. yeah. It, it, you were literally, you literally like, those are one sure. of your guys that you're banking on. And, and then the thing that kind of is not great for the Rays is like, I don't know how well that bodes for them keeping him. You know, yeah, I mean, how, how does, how is he sitting here feeling right now? Even uh, right. Yeah, still a week later. Yeah. And I mean, and it's one of those things where it, you know, it, you pull Snell early because, well, he, get, he only given up two hits. I mean, he threw 73 pitches. And like you mentioned, he's one, of, he's one of, if not that team's ace, and sometimes, I mean, I'm still of the belief where, and I know that the kind of mindset is changing and maybe that does make me a little bit old, feel old school or a little older now, but you know, Hey, sometimes like you got to ride with your starter. If, if, yeah. if you lose, you're okay losing because they got to your ACE. Right. Don't, don't let them, don't let them beat your bullpen. Like if they're yeah. going to beat you make them go through your guy make them make your ACE give up three or four runs before, you know, and yeah. I, and now it's, I mean, now it's no first sign of trouble. I got to get him out of there, which it, it, it more often than not does not work out. It yeah. feels like. So it's, it's one of those where, yeah, you know, you wish, obviously Snell wishes he had stayed in, obviously race fans were wondering what if you never know. And I mean, it's just one of those things where in general, like I said, I, you know, he's your ace. You got, you got to ride with him until he gives up the lead until like, until he, until he gives up that big hit, like you have to give him a chance to get out of the inning. I would have been okay if, 
<clears throat> Mookie was the last hitter he saw. Yeah. Like if, if they were like, and, and or they, they judged whether or not they're going to pull him by how he did against Mookie. If he gives, gives up the hit to Mookie, I can understand pulling him out. Sure. Um, I was going to say the other thing I don't like, generally speaking, obviously there are exceptions to the rule. The other thing I don't like is pulling a starting pitcher when theoretically one pitch can get him out of the inning. So if you yeah. can get a double play ball and get out of the inning, cool, then then you're good. If it's two outs, obviously you can get out of the inning. So if you're in a situation like that, I really am never a fan of pulling the starter in that situation because you're theoretically one pitch away from who cares how crazy that happening was. We wiped it away. You got a fresh start next right. inning. Let's see how that goes. Easy peasy. And what's crazy too is that like even though like I so for this season as we kind of transition to more of a recap of what the season was and just a reminder you can follow us at Crash Course FM uh, Crash Course Pod on Twitter Crash Course Podcast on YouTube um, we're starting to put out more of kind of just our segments standalone segments um, have an episode of Memory Lane coming up on Friday so make sure you tune into that uh, make sure if you're listening to the audio version make sure you go over to Facebook because we stream the podcast live every uh, Monday night uh, at 8 o'clock so make sure you tune into that um, Crash Course Podcast on Facebook and then remember you can listen to us every week uh, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify wherever podcasts can be heard you can hear the uh, Crash Course Podcast so um, you know I, admittedly this season I wasn't as locked in as I would have been for normal seasons. Sure. I, and I think I kind of figured out why. And it's not because like I wasn't excited for baseball to be back and wasn't excited for all the stupid labor negotiations to be done. <laughs> God, uh, yes. You know, it was more of the fact that like, I think when a season, I there wasn't enough time as oddly, as odd, as odd enough as it sounds, there wasn't enough time to get invested in the different teams because yeah. there were a lot of players, like even on the Cubs that I, I knew of them, but like, sure. didn't even like, Oh, that guy's on the team this year. And yeah. you know, or, or I didn't, you know, who the heck is this guy? Mm-hmm. And, yeah. and typically that's not, uh, at least even if I have a thought about that guy early in the season, I'm more invested in them as the year goes on. And also the fact that they started at like so late in the actual calendar year, because typically, right. you know, you know, once April and like the NCAA tournament is done, it's usually just baseball that I'm watching. If I'm watching yeah. a, a game, yeah. you know, with the exception of, you know, the, uh, of an occasional NBA playoff game exactly. or the NBA finals, yep. typically watching baseball. So, yep. um, you know, because you didn't, weren't, weren't watching baseball in April, May, June, and July, because usually once it gets past the all-star break and the trade deadline, that's when I start looking more at football yep. and other things are starting to gear up. Yeah. And, and that's when, plus this year at the end of July, you had the Pacers doing what they were doing, yep. uh, you know, in the bubble. And yeah, they obviously didn't play that well against the heat. Um, right. You had that playoff series to kind of be more invested in. So there was more going on because yeah, things exactly. were starting to pick back up again yep. because things were restarting. So baseball didn't have the spotlight, but I did feel after the world series was over, I was like, man, I miss baseball. Even though it was like that two, yeah. that two month little, um, you know, kind of, you yeah. almost feel like, you know, you, you got, you were, I was getting amped up like I normally would after watching three months of baseball and then it's over. And it's over. Um, yeah. That was the thing. The weird thing when you, even if you take all of the other factors of the NBA restart and the NFL having the question marks up in the air at the time, you know, what, what is their season going to look like? Is it going to be altered at all? Well, if you take all of that aside for a moment and just look at what baseball gave you was a 60 game year when you're used to 162. Right. So basically when you start on game one, I mean, by the time a month goes by and you start getting invested, you start seeing, you know, who's the division leader. You start seeing the stat, you know, like stuff start to form all of a sudden, like you got to flip that switch and boom, you're in playoff mode. It's, it's win now for teams. You've got teams that are right there on the fringe, even with the expanded playoffs. I mean, 
So, so as soon as the season starts to take shape, it's the regular season is basically done and you're down to your last 14 games or whatever it is to, to kind of sort out seeding and everything. So it, it really is, you know, so different. And then obviously you add in all the other factors, as you mentioned, of the NBA restart being so late in the calendar year as well and going on at the same time that you're trying to figure out what baseball is going to be and start baseball and get baseball started and then it's going. So it's it, 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 it all is, I mean, obviously just like everything else in the world in 2020, it was weird. Yeah. It was it was the same, but different. It may, it may, like 2020 has just been kind of, you know, in one in one gif nutshell that, that one of my favorite ones with James Franco where he's like, same, same, but different, <laughs> yeah. but still same. You're like, well, it it's baseball. Right. It's not, you know, it's not 162 games. So yeah, I mean, by the time the regular season shaped up, it was, it was over and we're in the playoff hunt and then, okay, playoffs are ready and our Cubs go back-to-back days. Well, they had a postponed game. Yeah. So they lasted for a third day, but in a span of 72 hours, we went from, Hey, zero, zero series. Let's go get it. And 72 hours later, they're done. Like, yeah. dude, when I tell you, I was so <laughs> like nerve, I, you know, n- nervous and also just disappointed and sad because in that span of time as well, you know, we had, I had done the podcast for the playoff prediction. So my playoff, my world <laughs> series prediction was Padres twins. Yep. <laughs> and then I also had the C- Padres and Cubs in the NLCS. Yep. So I was like, so the Padres had gone down to O in their series, the Cubs had lost and the twins had got swept as well. So I was like, Oh, cool. So you know what? I, I decided to go off because I had originally had Dodgers Yankees when the year started or was yeah. even started. And then I was like, okay, cool. I'm glad that literally in the span of like a weekend, my teams yeah. are all out. Yeah. Just, um, yeah. So thank goodness. I guess the Padres punched back and won their series and well, for a lot of reasons and no one wanted to see the Cardinals win. Yeah. True. Nobody. No, nobody has ever win. wanted to see Cardinals win. <laughs> won a series at all um but yeah i mean you know it was it was a fun year you had the white Sox and the padres make big steps forward i'm actually much fun to watch yeah i'm actually really excited to see what the padres can do because if this offseason and that's going to be a a, you know a sub you know topic for another podcast yeah um if the offseason is at least a semi-normal offseason it will be interesting to see what the padres do and it's already has been interesting to see what the white Sox have done um you know because those are kind of the big teams that can kind of shake things up especially with the white Sox in the sense that like the twins don't have a stranglehold on the central like the Dodgers do on the, on the West, West, you know, so the Padres are kind of, you know, can contend for that top spot in the West, but still should be a playoff team. Whereas the white, you know, the white Sox are not only, you know, a playoff team, but also could be fighting for a division. So that should be fun to watch. Obviously what we're referring to too is Tony LaRusa getting hired, which I found out later that the general manager for the white Sox had a chance to hire LaRusa back in like the seventies and didn't do it. And now is like, here's my chance. Uh, and so we'll see. I don't know. Uh, we'll see how it goes. Um, but that's definitely an interesting hire. In, for the, sure. in the nicest way I can put it, it is an interesting hire. Yeah. Uh, you're the, the, the main, the main question mark with a Tony LaRusa hire in 2020, there's two. Yeah. There's the simple fact that he hasn't managed an MLB team in nine years. I don't care who you are. It hasn't done it in nine years. A lot's changed in nine years. Yeah. Even if you take out the 2020 season and the abnormality that it was, a lot's changed in eight years till 2019. Two, you've got a however old he is guy that, you know, 
it's it, that's how he manages and he has a bunch of young well really really young up-and-coming players to and, manage and that's a point that trevor plouffe made too he was like uh, on talking baseball he said sure. that um he was like we'll kind of know early on because if he comes through the door and comes up to tim anderson and is like we're not bat flipping this year. We're, you know, yeah. we're, we're, we're going to be buttoned up. We're going to be whatever. Right. Then that's kind of how you're going to know how that sure. the Tony LaRusa tenure, like, because like, is Tony, La, like, is Tony LaRusa maybe, I mean, I, I still think he's that much better than Rick Renteria. Like no. you, like is Rick Renteria the best manager ever? No, no, but is he better than Tony LaRusa? Probably, especially now, probably a little bit more even than maybe yeah. it was you know in 2011 when he right. was last managing renteria was, was there for a year right no he's been there, for, he there for a while he was there for a while because he he was only with the cubs for, for a year that's yeah. that's where i was trying i was yeah i was going to make a fun little comparison because obviously he was with the cubs before joe madden came in yeah. and then in two years madden won, won it all and so how does rick renteria feel getting replaced by an all-time great who takes that core yeah. to, to a world series then only to go to the other side of town, have another really young core that is yeah. really up and coming, looks really good, to then get the rug taken out from underneath him again, to oh, get yeah. shown the door, replaced by again an all-time great. Who knows where he'll take them? It's gotta, it's gotta feel pretty interesting if you're Rick Renton. Oh yeah, definitely. Like, <laughs> definitely like stinks to be you know the manager that gets you know the rebuild, but not like the fruits of that rebuild. Yeah, you know that kind of. That well, just... I mean, switching to football. I mean, it's Tony Dungy down in in Tampa. Yeah. I mean, yeah. obviously he got it here in Indy, thank gosh. But, you know, yeah, that was an interesting one too. But, yeah, so White Sox have a big, very important offseason. Um, I'm definitely going to be keeping an eye on them. They're, uh, they're, they're a lot of fun. They have a lot of talent and a lot of really fun guys who I think are part of that, that mold to change the game yeah. to what, what the up-and-coming, the younger generation, the new generation is going to make it look like with the Tim Andersons. Uh, you know, even the Yuan Moncadas, the Eloy Jimenez is the, the uh, Luis Roberts, obviously. And they have, I got a White Sox buddy who is just salivating at the mouth, even at their farm system still coming up. He told me, I think his name's Andrew Vaughn. Don't quote me on that. I'm not hundred percent sure. I think it's Andrew Vaughn. He's like, he might be the best hitter on that White Sox really? team. And I'm including, he's like, I'm including everybody that's there now. He's like, he may be the best. He has the highest ceiling of anybody and he's yeah. just coming up through the pipeline now so they've got a lot to look forward to them them and the padres yeah. i feel like if they can both add some pitching this offseason and maybe yes. i mean maybe a bat or two like with like maybe a, like yeah. a low-key signing maybe a veteran bat on yeah. both sides maybe but like both teams i think they just need to improve their pitching staffs because i don't that's I, the know, one i agree because the yeah. padres i think are like a 99 percent complete roster yeah outside of outside of some pitching help for sure. yeah because because I, I forgot all about chris paddock but i think he mm -hmm. was injured for part of the year you know they have mike clevenger they've got yeah. denelson lament so they did bring clevenger yeah. in yeah if kirby yates can find it you know again next sure. year um, you know, they should be in pretty good shape. So, yeah, I'm, I'm interested to see what both those teams do. And, you know, of course, they had, you know, a great year from uh, Jose Abreu, who had 19 home runs. He was second in the league in homers. He led the league in RBI. On the other side of it, you know, we could talk about some pitching a little bit. You, Darvish, and Shane Bieber have breakout years. Really excited to see Darvish break through. Both, both were fun for, interest, for uh, separate reasons. Bieber was fun. Because when he won the All-Star game, I had no idea who he was. Yeah. When he was the winning yeah. pitcher for the All-Star game, I had no idea who he was. Yep. And then all, like from that point until mm -hmm. now, he has been one of the best pitchers yeah. in the game. And then you have Yu Darvish, who has taken a lot of crap over the years for not pitching well. 
Um, and even when he has pitched well, it seems like the Cubs could never get him wins. Oh my gosh. And finally, he, everything kind of comes together. Even though the Cubs yeah. didn't get to where they wanted to go, he still was a breakout pitcher, had a fantastic year, and I'm really excited to see what he can do moving forward. Yeah, for sure. I mean, yeah, as a Cubs fan, obviously I'll talk all day about you, Darvish, and the year that he had because, I mean, even as – even like putting a, my Cubs fandom aside, as you mentioned, he's taken so much crap, not even just from Cubs fans, but over the years, I mean, I felt like he – I feel like he has just always kind of been looked at as, um, you know, he was supposed to be this great superstar pitcher and he hasn't lived up to that, even though pretty much every eye test and number will back up that he is in fact an elite, a superstar, whatever you know, arbitrary label you want to call him. He's absolutely been that, but of course fans still see for whatever reason or another, they don't think of him in that way. And it's not fair to him. He's definitely done his job. And I know he had a rough first year in Chicago, yeah. but he's definitely, uh, flip that around and this well, year was was really really nice as you mentioned to see him kind of put it all together and do it with the best hair I've seen in baseball in a while and yes. a big old smile on his face it was great to see him do it while having fun yeah well and I think this was a great year and you know you kind of you know giving some a little bit of backstory I, I think because when he got traded to the Dodgers he was pitching very well yeah uh, when he got traded to the Dodgers back in 2017 I think was the year he got traded like he even had a great like NLCS against the Cubs yeah and I think what's followed him around especially up to this year is is that game seven it, where yeah. he pitched where you know yeah he may have been tipping pitches but also remember the Astros were cheating <laughs> there's two there's yeah. two pitchers from that Dodgers team that got that have gotten batter apps one of them just won the World Series this year in Clayton Kershaw because yep. Um, of the fact that, and I even, you know, one of our buddies, uh, Sean Kroll at, at sure. Indiana SRN, you know, was saying that the Yankees have just as much of a gripe with the Astros as, well, you know, you know yeah. and it's like, yeah, that's true. But like Clayton Kershaw was having a solid postseason until game five yep. when all the, when, yep. you know, the craziest game ever played was played, you know, where the Astros won 13 to, oh, was it 13 to 12? It was and, something stupid. Yeah, it was double innings. digit. It was, yeah. Yeah, but Kershaw, I mean, he I think he had one outing where he gave up like three or four runs, but sure. the rest of that postseason, like that was the postseason he was turning it around. Yeah, and then he gets rocked by the Astros who were cheating. You Darvish had this bad connotation of like, oh, you know, because he had a bad World Series against the Astros yeah. who were cheating, where like you can never truly say like, no, Darvish was bad, he wasn't playing well. Yeah. Like, yeah, but there's also going to be that little bit of doubt where like you feel cheated, and then you also so he's been trying to get back from that, especially, and then you have the you know, especially since. Since then, he hadn't pitched well up until this year. And yeah. then you also have the stuff in the offseason with uh, Christian Yelich, yes. where he's, you know, <laughs> where, you know, after the whole Astros thing, you know, they start looking at other teams that may have been stealing signs. And then Christian Yelich goes and says, well, no one needs to steal signs off you. You, Dar you know, you, you Darvish, people can just hit you all the time. Yeah, and he goes and, out and, and, and shuts everybody up this year. So, yeah, it was good to see him finally have yeah. that breakout year. And I think, I think that's the U Darvish we're going to see going forward. I don't think we're, you know, hopefully. Fingers crossed. Yeah. yeah, for sure. Yeah. I mean, I, I cause he was, the, he, the way he did it was so confident and easy that yes, I, I don't think it was a flash in the pan. Like, well, he just, you know, he found the magic for, and who knows if he can do it again. Yeah. Like, I think he did it so confidently and made it look so easy that, yeah, he is that dominant. And like we said, he's kind of always been that, but a couple of bad outings have just kind of followed him. And, and in sports in general, it's, you know, there's always that one moment that, well, that's his, that's his whole career until it changes or until, you know, he can eclipse it. And it's just, you know, it's, it's not fair for anybody, but it really was not fair for Darvish, who, you know, has been nothing but stellar and above since he's come over uh, into the major leagues.
Yeah. And then, um, you know, there's, you know, we took, mentioned the Yankees, um, you know, not, more disappointing finishes for the Yankees and the Braves. The Yankees, I don't mm. know how, I don't know how they get over the hump. I mean, they face a good Rays team. Yeah. Um, they have still the best bullpen, in my opinion, in baseball with Britain and Aroldis Chapman. Um, they, this year they actually were doing better about not just being a home run or bus team. Sure. And so that's just kind of a one where you're like, I don't know what we do except for, you know, run it back next year. Maybe I make some small additions here and there. Um, I mean, but, they're the Yankees. They'll yeah. spend money. But, 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 yeah. but then you have the Braves who um, they, what they were lacking was pitching this year. So their bullpen was fine. I feel like yeah. um, their bats are incredible. I think if they can add like, I think the uh, long story short, I think the market for Trevor Bauer is going to be really interesting oh. because like if the, like the Braves need pitching and they're, yeah. they're a contender, the Padres need pitching, they're a contender, the White Sox need pitching, they're a contender. Wouldn't mind seeing the Cubs get them. Right. Like there's a lot of teams this year that were playoff teams and maybe had disappointing ends to their season that need pitching that I think like the pitching market, if they're like, like I said, who knows what the market's going to look like this year, Ooh, yeah. but, the, yeah. but I think it's going to be a feeding frenzy for starting pitching because, yeah. you know, I mean, Heck, by the end of the year, the, the Braves pitching staff was just pretty much depleted. They yeah, had no, they, they, they oh didn't have God. hardly anybody I, I who they can rely on. Any injuries they with, with the exception with. of Max, Max Freed, yeah, they you know were were looking to find somebody, and then um, so yeah, so disappointing into the season for those two teams. I think the big standout story from this year were the different rule changes, and some of them brought on due to yeah. the COVID you know aspect of it, and some of them were already instituted. Uh, the three batter minimum. Um, for pitchers coming out of the bullpen, universal DH, uh, which that was brought on because yes. of the shortened shortened season, yep. um, and then runner on base and extra second base and extra innings. Um, you know that was instituted to make game to make sure that we didn't have any you know 17, 18 any games, games when you're trying to get through a 60 game yeah. season. Um, and so you know I don't recall any of those uh, having really negative impacts. On, you know I don't know I, I don't think yeah overall I mean I'm sure there was not some widespread. Yeah. Everybody was like this is horrible. Yeah, I'm sure yeah. there were some teams that like were like well we wouldn't have lost that game if we had yeah. if the runner hadn't started on second or maybe if we would have yeah. you know. We didn't have a DH, so we had to put some bat. We didn't, you know, <laughs> yeah. want in the lineup, in the lineup. And with every rule change, there's going to be pushback. Right. I mean, with, with anything, it's just human nature to push back on change in general. So, But yeah. they definitely could use some tweaks. Now, whether or not those tweaks would, will happen, because I think I think the, the, the thing that worries me is that I think Rob Man- Manfred thinks that those – all those adjustments actually are good the way that they are and he sees no reason to change them. And he also hates baseball. So, <laughs> so like, uh, because I, like I was thinking about it, you know, when I was thinking about this podcast, I was like, you know, they should just get rid of the three batter minimum, but make and get rid of mouth visits, get rid of the rules for those two things and just give managers like kind of like timeouts. Okay. And so whenever you have a mound visit, like a managerial mound visit, okay. You know, if the manager comes out of the dugout, you get so many of those a game because okay. really, I mean, those, whenever you make a mid inning pitching change, which that's what baseball really is trying to get rid of is the, right. middle of the is all the middle of the inning pitching changes. Right. That's what needs to be regulated. Not, not when the catcher wants to go talk to the pitcher about what pitches he's going <laughs> to yeah. throw, not, you know, because a bat, you know, pitchers are getting taken out or shouldn't be allowed to just face one batter. I think it's if they're trying to regulate how many times the manager comes out, pitching change, right. throw your eight warm-up pitches, okay, go out again, change the pitcher again. So, like, I think if they made it like, okay, you get five, 
it actually adds that strategy back into the game because you if you have all five you can do that at the end of the game yeah you can call your timeouts kind of like what we see in basketball like if you model a little bit more after basketball where like it's actually strategic you get six timeouts sure you, you can use them, them how you want yeah or but yeah but yeah obviously the strategy in general yeah, yeah. Just them. yeah. Sure. so then you know you can use your lefty specialist and then do another thing so i think that would be a cool way to kind of adjust okay. it and make it less about like we don't want you going to the mound we don't right. want you we want to make you use i think because i think i think the three batter minimum hurts the strategy of the game where that tweak would actually add to the strategy of the game i can see that because definitely the what what the three batter minimum did more than any other thing was it eliminated your your what you would call your specialist? Right. If you have a if you have a guy who just hey he doesn't really pitch well to righties, but my goodness he decimates lefties. Yeah. And you know what? I got two left. I got a lefty coming up that I cannot give. I I, I can't have him on base. I just need this guy to get him out and move on. Yeah. It gets the three better minimum. Obviously, decimated that role. So, I I guess. I like the three batter minimum in general because, but I like what you're saying. I like the idea of less mid inning pitching changes. Yeah. I like the idea of that's the thing that needs to be regulated. I like the idea of not using eight or nine guys in a nine inning game or yeah. whatever your whatever crazy numbers we're getting. So yeah, if you just find some way to narrow that down to yeah five or five pitchers a game, yeah, total. I'm good with that. You can't really do pitchers just because I just mean yeah, in general, yeah, yeah. like if, if you're, yeah. Cause that's, that's the number I'm looking at is like you said, mid-inning pitching changes, but just more pitchers in general. I want, yeah. I don't want you to use as many pitchers in a game. It's it's because then again, you're, you're talking way, you're going way more into analytics and you're way more into, you know, the splits and everything like that. And you're looking at all these numbers and, and then you, you're overthinking it. You're then you're making the wrong decisions because you're just looking and solely so much into these numbers and, and also to be clear don't sorry to sure. cut you off but also to be clear that you can still if that rule were in place where you could, like you only had so many mid-inning pitching changes yeah. like if the manager doesn't come out of the dugout so like if it's just a regular pitching change like between innings that wouldn't count exactly so yeah exactly so, no, so exactly like, yeah. yeah right so um so yeah i think yeah I, I think you know i think that would serve as much of a purpose and add more strategy yeah that. And but we're and we're good with the universal DH, right? Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, it's like I love it. I'm not even gonna lie. I so I've always thought it was just weird that we had that like with different leagues, man. I I understand the way it was a hundred years ago and this and that, but yeah. I just I I it's fine. It is what baseball was. I'm totally okay with either both both leagues having the DH or or both leagues not having it. Yeah. I just want it needs to be the same. Yeah, I like I like the strategy of having to like the the strategy was was I did like the strategy side of it for the NL, but I think also what kind of lightened the change for me, especially because I wasn't like oh man this has to stay or I'm gonna get really mad. Yes, like no, it's like I like I think what helps is the fact that the Cubs have so many hitters. Right. <laughs> so yeah. like from my from my table right. because I that's why I even told Brandon Brandon that I was like. You know, because he was like, "Oh, I'm surprised an NL guy is for Universal DH." I was like, "Well, we have Kyle Schwarber, so <laughs> that's what I'm. Yeah, that's what I'm excited to see." So I think in the long run, like it's one of those things where like you liked it when it was there, but now that it's gone, you don't really miss it. Like yeah. it's not something that I'm gonna be like, "No, we gotta get the pitchers." On this of yeah, because yeah. like also like you know you want pitchers. There were some pitchers that were good at hitting, and I think you can still like. 
I mean, there are still instances where they can still hit. I, you know, yeah. I mean, there, there's situations where that's fine, you know, whatever. But right. like, um, but yeah, I, I think at the end of the day, it's, it's a good move. It's like sure. that should stay, and I'm in favor of that staying. My, my favorite is some of my coworkers are those older. No, this is the way baseball was, and I don't want the DH and the NL. I'm an NL guy. It's never going to be like I, they were steadfast. Like I don't want to watch baseball if it's. And then they watched it this year, and they're like yeah it really wasn't that bad yeah like, like it's fine and i was like yeah that's the point like it's not this monumental i mean i know it's a big change but it's not this yeah. earth shattering groundbreaking oh this doesn't even look like baseball anymore right game so and then as far as the uh runner on second and extra innings so i think what made it bad like you know i think and i think i have a way to fix that too and like i said i mean Good, who knows I've got one too so who knows if it actually <laughs> you know will ever get heard at all ever you know if they'll, if they'll change it or if they'll be like it was see nothing crazy happened over 60 games so <laughs> let's just implement this forever um but i think what made it bad was that because there was a runner on second there was you know there was no problem with first guy out is gonna bunt try yep. to get the runner to third so there was a lot more sacrifices yep. where if you were able to nip that sacrifice in the butt, well, now there's one out and no runners on at all. And yep. you're in the same scenario as a normal extra inning. So the sacrifices got a little bit too crazy. I think there should be this. I think it should kind of work kind of how like you, what you see in soccer, where what you see in um, what you see, I think in hockey as well, where you, and even kind of in football where you have that extra, like not one extra inning, but I think you like the extra period to get, it done normally and then you go to kind of the gimmicky finish sure whereas i think you know there should be normal extra innings um before like from for the 10th 11th and 12th so okay. three innings of normal extra inning baseball okay because most games uh like they you know looking at the numbers most extra inning games don't go past the 10th or 11th exactly um so i i'm good with having normal baseball for at least a couple of actual extra innings but then once you get to the 12th or 13th and you know, or, you know, I would like to see three regular innings, but if it's two, it's whatever. Yeah. But then I think there should, uh, it should start with a runner on first instead of second to avoid, yeah. um, you know, the constant sacrifices. So I think runner yes. on first, I can deal with runner on second. Yeah. I'm not a huge fan of um, it's, I guess it would just be the strategy of the game regardless, but yeah, I'm, I'm good. I'm good with the runner on first uh, starting in like the 12th or 13th. Inning. Sure. Um, and I think that's a perfect way to kind of solve yeah the extra inning problem yeah actually that's uh, that's with a little minor tweak that's essentially what i was going to say was i don't like starting with a runner in scoring position in the 10th because like you said you technically don't even have to have a i mean you have to have two productive at bats but you don't have to have a hit to score a, a game breaking yeah. run right you just have to have lay a bunt down and make solid contact for a fly ball and you're up one yeah so i don't like that in the 10th what my tweak was simply just 10th inning is regular, 11th is runner on first, 12th and beyond, fine. If, you, if it goes 12 or more, put them in scoring position because now yeah. you've at least had – each side has had two opportunities yeah. to get guys in. And, and, hey, in the 12th inning, like, you really need to finish it off because you're st- that's when you start. So, yeah, I mean, if it's if it's the, the 0, 1, and 2 in the 10th, 11th, and 12th, and the, or if it's yours where it's 0 for 2 or 3 and then move on, I'm totally fine with that. I just – I did not like the starting – with a runner on second because yeah. it, it, it just made it too easy. And I understood why it was needed for this year. As we said, we didn't want super long games in a shortened season. You're trying to just get through these games mm-hmm. as efficiently without injury or problems as you can. So you don't need 17, 18 inning marathon games. So that's why I, I, I was fine with it for this year, but moving forward, 
Hell no. Right. <laughs> and by far one of the biggest changes was, of course, the, to the playoffs. You go from only 10 teams. A third of the league made the playoffs, yes. you know, before. Now there's over half the league making yep. the playoffs, uh, eight from each side. And I'm not totally against having more teams in the postseason. It's one of those things where, like, as soon as it was the, the case this year, I was kind of like, okay, it's not the worst thing in the yeah. world. What I what I am kind of the hill I want to die on is that all leagues should be should not have more than half the league in the postseason. Okay, because it doesn't incentivize winning. Right. And instead of like you can you can make a couple of low key moves to take a mediocre team, make them just mediocre enough to win eighty five games, yes. and you're in the postseason. Yeah. You don't, and you can spin that and be like, look, I have my, our team in the playoffs every year. I'm making these, yeah. you know, super low budget moves. Right. That don't that I just make bank on as an owner because I'm yes. not, I don't have to pay. I'm not paying out. More, yeah, yeah, nearly what I'm getting in. So yeah. like, I'm good with like at least at, at, at maximum fourteen teams, top seven sure. from each. Because I was going back through today, I was like, well, the seventh seed for the NL was the Reds. Yeah, they, you know, they weren't they, they were a team capable of going further. They because they had the pitching, they had the bats, they just didn't perform. Yeah. Um, and then the seventh seed over in the AL, I think was oh that was the Astros. So we're, yeah, who was yeah. who were under five hundred? Who were under five hundred? Um, but also still a good a team that you would expect to see because that's the thing. That's the reason why we have even an extra more problem with the with the cheating is because they were already a good team and they're like, let's cheat, and then they were great. <laughs> so um, so yeah, I mean, so you have some teams that are still in there, but yeah, I was like the Blue Jays, even though they were a team that could potentially have made some you know moves this year, they shouldn't have been in. And then you have the Brewers who as good as they've been in the past. And cause that's, that's the thing too. Like again, they were 500. Yeah. This, this great run for the Dodgers wouldn't have happened if like just a couple of free things happened, sure. you know, yeah. against the Brewers and exactly. all of a sudden you have a random team that yeah. shouldn't really be there. So like, I want to, I want to incentivize winning. I want the top half of the, of the league, at, you know, to make it. And then I want the reason why I'm good with it being at, you know, seven is because give the team that's the best that year, the, a buy. To the second okay. round sure. so then it's still 2v7 3v6 4v5 exactly i'm good with that so like i'm not opposed to having expanded playoffs but definitely i mean and that's the problem is that like sport the sports world in general i feel like is going is really embracing the business side because now that the players are embracing the business side and being like i want to go chase my money you yeah. know and, and i want to get paid now that's how the owners and, and that kind of and gms are approaching it where, where they're like okay well then we're going to do the thing that makes us the most money, which is get us to the playoffs. We don't care how good or bad we are. Yeah. Just get us to the postseason. Yes. You know, so it doesn't incentivize winning. It just incentivizes, well, you know, we made some low budget moves here and there and it got us to where we want to go. And I mean, I'll give you the best example of the last two years and is is the Boston Red Sox basically yeah. crying poor and not wanting to pay Mookie Betts. Right. Like shipping him out to LA because, well, we can shave off a few dollars and still put out a respectable team. And even if we don't, we're the Boston Red Sox. We'll make our money. Right. We're, we're a, we're a storied franchise that will make our money regardless. So why would we right. pay this guy? Who's clearly one of, if not the best players in baseball right now, why would we pay him what he's worth when we don't have to? Right. And that's, yeah. Yeah. So I think, so I'm good with the expanded playoffs sure. is as long as we like trim the fat a little bit, make it six teams and the first two teams get buys or yeah. make it, you know, kind of like what the NFL was. And I also am for, I, I think I'm surprised that hasn't been embraced more the NFL, what the NFL does as far as like the lowest seed is like place the highest seed every week. 
until yeah. you get down to the end. Yeah. So I, I, I'm a fan of that. I don't know why more leagues haven't embraced right. that. I don't know. Yeah. Um, no, that makes the most sense yeah i mean when you're when you're filling out a bracket like that's that's kind of how it should yeah. be so, so like yeah. i'm i'm good with that so you like incentivize the winning end of it i just don't want to see because like that's the thing it like if you expand because like i'm okay with like an under 500 team as long as it wasn't like a 20 and 40 team like i was okay with an under 500 team in this season sure. where you only had two months to get going yeah so like but what i don't want to see is like you know a couple years ago the al i think their eighth seed would have been like a 60 70 win team and like that yeah. team doesn't deserve like do you think that team is like exactly. like yeah we made i mean they're excited i guess because they get to play in the postseason but let's say that team wins two games knocks out the top seed well now a team that actually like is trying to win and is trying to do good by their fan base is now kicked out because another owner was like well our team was just good enough to win 70 games get that right. eight seed and win, win two you know yeah and just happen to be lucky enough to win two games so i mean it, yeah i i just want to see i want to see less than half of all sports leagues make the playoffs. That's <laughs> yeah, all I well, want. and especially when you talk expanded, if you talk about going over half, I mean, at, that, at some point you water you water down making the playoffs so much that it doesn't feel like even that much of, a, of right. an accomplishment. Whereas if it's if it's such short numbers, if it's baseball where it was ten teams, yeah, even if you made the playoffs every year, if you're the Cubs, you know, and and yeah, you won your one World Series, so obviously like that runs a success. I don't care if you only won one, you only yeah. won one. It's still one more than. Yeah. any other regime has won in over a century but you, you know you still made the playoffs every year you're you're putting out a, the best team theoretically you can and yeah sometimes you most years you fell short sometimes you lost in the wildcard round or the nlcs but being one of those top 10 like that's an accomplishment in and of itself but if you're talking about 16 like you said you can sneak in at under 500 year in and year out and feel like you're on the same level as the dodgers because yeah. well, we both made the playoffs yeah, well, clearly they're a 110 win team and you're an 80 win team. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, and then, so looking ahead at next year, I'm, I'm, it's going to be an odd offseason. We've already seen it with some of the managerial hires and like pretty much every team declining options and all that stuff. Yeah. And, you know, I think what's going to be the most telling is football has shown us uh, that fans can be allowed in stadiums. I sure. think, I think for every league, you know, that was any league that did any sort of a bubble this year. So the baseball playoffs, which ended up not being as much of a bubble towards the end, right. They allowed fans in the stands for, for the world series. And then uh, also uh, the, uh, you know, the NBA, obviously, obviously no full seasons. Like everybody did what they had to do to get through this season yes. and get through, you know, the, you know, pandemic season. And the next year it's got to be at least a little bit more normal as far as, you know, you're going to see the NBA playing games, in, you know, at, in their own courts. You're going to see baseball playing again in their own stadiums with fans. Cause I think football has shown us that, Hey, we can, we can have some fans in the stands and we can do it that way. And obviously the pandemic, you know, in some areas is less than a lot of kind of thing, but um but not in all areas so still wear a mask um but uh but anyway just do, just do it um but I, so like it'll be in that will that fact the fact that they're going to be able to have fans in the stands and, and be theoretically better off than they were this year it should show that like hey maybe it's not going to be that big of a deal as far as how they go about spending maybe they because yes. because theoretically you know i was thinking about it today as well i was like okay so let's say you have a third of the fans in the stands, right? So you have a third of the fans in the stands, which means obviously you're making a third of it's about 15 K usually. Cause I yeah. think Wrigley holds somewhere between like 45 yeah. and 50. Yeah. So I was like, if you like, I don't think 
I think people, especially for this next season, would, for one, be okay with, like, a little bit of a raised ticket price because you're also not going to be going to every game. Yeah. It's not like like a fan that yeah. would normally go, you know, out of 81 games. Now, granted, I think the season will be shortened again. I just don't think it'll be – I don't think it'll be 60 – well, we hope. It's not going to be just 60 games. It'll be more along the lines of, like, I could see, like, 120, uh, yeah. one, you know, something like that. Yeah. Um, But, like – like I think, you know, like I don't think people will be that opposed to like, okay, this year, guys, guess what? The jerseys at the stadiums are going to be a little bit more expensive. Concessions are going to be a little bit more expensive. Yeah. Um, you know, ticket prices are going to be a little bit more expensive because we've got to make up at least some of that money. Yeah. I would be I like that. I would be understanding of that, especially because like you're not going to be going to as many games, you know, as you would. You right. know, on a normal season like you're right. not you know because there's some fans that go you know might go to the uh, you know 10 or 15 games a year you know it's going to be more like you see with the nfl where like the, you know the standard family can only probably go to if any one game one maybe, maybe two, one two yeah you know, unless you're you know r- you know right next to the stadium whatever so yeah i think that that's you know so that'll be interesting so if they can find a way to make that work where the money's going to be you know at least a little bit more normal sure. i think we see more of a normal off season but if they still are like well we don't you know we're not you know if they yeah. still kind of cry poor and act exactly. like they don't they're not going to have it you know they're not going to have their money and they want to have another shortened season but with fans so that way they don't have to pay players right. and and they're making the money and they'll still get their playoff revenue like we did this year yeah, yeah. so it'll just so it'll just it'll just depend on what happens in that regard. It has the potential to be an okay off season. Yeah. Like, Cause I think also like, I think what teams w- could and should do with new signings this year is just backload the contracts. And yeah. I know, and I know that like, or at least like there will probably be more short-term contracts. So maybe like two years, you know, maybe yeah. a little bit less than what you normally would have made, but because like, so I, yeah. I think the players will be, more apt to maybe take that play a little bit of a pay cut right and just we'll see what the owners want to do because of course you know you'll have some owners that are like well well i mean i know he's already signed out signed but be like well mookie bets we can only pay you two million dollars a year <laughs> like no i think no, i don't think so i don't, I don't think, think so can. man yeah yeah i so, mean and then you know to to even to transition how odd of an offseason is going to be even if you're not looking at the money and the fan side of it i'll take the other side of it that's that's got me intrigued how important so if you're a free agent this coming into this year or after this year, if 2020 was your contract year and you had a shortened year, how much how much do teams look at this 60 game stretch? True. Yeah. I mean, is we're Cubs fans. This core is is, is coming up on. We got to re up some guys. We got who you know who sticks around. Who, so how important do you look at 2020? And going forward, you know, I mean, obviously Chris Bryant didn't have the best 2020 year. Are you? How much are you going to hold that against him? when you're talking of a, a future contract, you know, Javi didn't have his best, his kind of Javi year. How much do you hold that against him? He's coming up for a contract. Whereas a guy like Ian Happ had a great breakout year here in 2020. Do you give him more than you maybe theoretically would have over 162 if his numbers had kind of flattened out? Maybe if he, you know, after 162, if his 162 averages would have gone down, but in a 60 game stretch, he looked really, really good. He looked like a, for part of the year, a perennial kind of MVP level, like, you know, top all-star kind of guy. Do you pay him that? I mean, probably not, obviously, because you don't want to shell out too much money, whatever. But so, you know, just the offseason is going to look weird just because, 
if you're a free agent this year, kind of, I mean, it, it kind of sucks because regardless of how your 2020 went, if that gets held against you, yeah, it's not your fault that you only played 60 games. And well, you, well, you batted 210. Well, yeah, but I only had a third of the at bats that I would have had. I'm sure last year everybody had a stretch of you know of, of batting 200 for a third of the year or whatever. Right. To, those numbers don't average out over 60 like they do over 162. So the off season, I mean, just in general, is going to look really, really odd for a multitude of reasons and layer after layer is going to get unpeeled and it's going to be really kind of fascinating to watch it unfold. Yeah, it really will be, you know, an interesting offseason. We'll we'll keep an eye on it here uh, at the Crash Course Podcast. But before we move into some quick conversations, I know we're almost an hour in, but we still got to get to the ads. Yes. Uh, so uh, let's go ahead and hit those ads, and we will be right back to talk about um, some Colts uh, trade deadline talk. <laughs> we're, we're ready to talk about uh, the Indianapolis Colts here, which got a big win. I, I oh, expected man. I expected them to beat the Lions, but I didn't expect them to win by, like, 21 yeah. or 20 however many they won by but that's that what was, happens when the offense can finally yeah like, like just kind of spin those wheels and really get going so so it was a good time and that's what b scott and i have talked about too is the fact that like you know their offense you know had been struggling and so like eventually we expect their their defense to have a little bit of a drop off yeah and their offense to improve it's just where those will peak and where exactly. those will tail yeah. off so it'll be interesting for sure to kind of track that and and keep an eye on that um but uh, let's go ahead. The trade deadline, uh, if you're listening to this on the audio, um, we're on YouTube. Uh, it, is to, it is Tuesday. It is today. Um, but, uh, you know, we still got a little bit of time before the trade deadline. So even though typically not a lot happens, you know, at the trade deadline, at least not as nearly as much as it does for baseball. Yeah. Understandably so. You don't have a whole entire playbook to right. memorize and stuff like that. But I thought it would be fun to go into hot and cold. Um, and go into some of these trade deadline, uh, you know, trade deadline conversation for the Colts. And so what we're going to do is we're going to propose a, a trade, a two trade offers that the Colts could potentially do. One we think is a hot one, which we think that they could potentially, you know, would be a good trade for them to make or sure. would be one that's more likely to happen. Um, and then a cold one, which is maybe less likely to happen, but it's still one should that should be on the radar for them. Sure. Um, so my hot, uh, my hot trade for the Colts, my hot take um, is – is I think the Colts should trade Jacoby Brissett to the Cowboys for Michael Gallup. And the reason why is, you know, we've talked about it before on the podcast where the, where, where one of the places where the Colts need to improve is wide receiver right now, they're kind of thinned out, especially with injuries. And, you know, now T Y is going to be out for a little bit. So, um, you know, they need to improve the wide receiver core right now. It's really just Zach Pascal carrying the load. Yeah. Um, so I think that would be a good trade. I think that, cause I mean, as much as I wanted to be like Omari Cooper or CD lamb, like those are two guys that I feel yeah. like are kind of off limits. So I was like, who's a wide receiver for the Cowboys. Who's pretty proven, but you know, still not one of those big name guys. And I think that, you know, Michael Gallup could fit the bill for them, give them a little bit more depth and be a good move. And the reason why I think Jacoby Brissett makes sense for the Cowboys is because obviously you've got the injury to Dak yep. Andy Dalton, like as much as I love Andy Dalton and think he's underrated and he just gets kind of a lot of beef because, Hey, I mean, he was under, he, you know, he, he was under Marvin Lewis for the longest time. Yeah. who clearly was there like 10 years too long. Yes. And you have the fact that, you know, he had AJ Green, who's, you know, diminished over the yeah. past few years. So, like, I, I think he's gotten more of a battle. Like, he, he is in a spot right now, or should have been in a spot right now, where he has all the tools, all yeah. the talent, and yeah. he's still not performed. So, um, and you have Jacoby Brissett, who 
I think is an advantage for the Colts to have if you're going to trade your quarterback because not only do you obviously the Colts have you know Easton as well kind of yep. waiting in the wings they yes. don't really need Brissett anymore but also you make that trade and, and Jacoby Brissett has shown you over the years that he can kind of take it be thrown into a weird situation and make the best of it. I mean, the NFC East is still wide open. Oh. So you can kind of maybe even concede a couple of weeks for Jacoby Brissett to kind of learn the offense exactly. and get into gear. Cause I mean, obviously traded to the Colts like a, a week before the season started, yeah. um, you know, from the Patriots. And then, you know, two weeks before the season was told, Hey, you're going to be the guy because Andrew Luck retired. Yeah. So he's been in kind of those tough spots. Um, and I think that would be a good position for him to kind of be uh, thrown into. Yeah. I mean, uh, I, I really like that hot take that hot trade. Cause uh, you, and you know, all my points are going to be essentially the same points that you already hit on the Colts obviously do need help um, at the wide receiver spot. Michael Gallup is a not, I would say not a wide receiver one, but a very solid two or three wide receiver. And that's really what the Colts need. They don't need to empty the farm out necessarily to go get Omari Cooper or to even go get, you know, a, a DeAndre Hopkins level guy. You know, that's not, I mean, it'll obviously there's no harm in getting a guy like that. Right. That's not, that's not realistically not their most pressing need is to get that. But yeah, they just need some more depth. They need, they need another reliable target for Phillip Rivers to hit is as we've seen Phillip Rivers start to kind of, catch fire really here in these last few weeks he has really um kind of you know picked up this offense himself and, and yeah so giving him another another reliable weapon would be great so it would really help out the colts and as you mentioned percent is probably their most valuable trade ship at this point because it's the perfect situation for the colts because he is valuable to other teams where he's not as valuable here in indy um obviously he's a great human being and a wonderful teammate nothing absolutely bad to say about jacoby percent he's done a heck of a job in, as you mentioned, those two seasons where he was just kind of thrown to the wolves at the last minute and said, hey, take care of it. And he, I mean, he did what he could do, started us out five and two last year before obviously getting hurt in Pittsburgh and everything kind of fell apart from that. But yeah, so, I mean, he has obviously proven that he can step in, be a reliable starting option for you. And Dallas doesn't need, again, they don't need a superstar quarterback at this point. As you mentioned, the NFC's East is still wide open. I'm telling you right now, that division winner, whoever it is, it's going to end up with like six wins and yeah. like on the pace that we're going. So Jacoby Brissett can get you six wins. Yeah. I don't care. You, you know? So, I mean, it's, I think it's a good, and it is one of those trades that would be good for both teams and it fills immediately fills both teams needs right away. So that's a, that's a really good one. And it's just, as you mentioned, yeah, Brissett doesn't hold nearly as much value in Indy as he would somewhere else because you've got rivers here for this year and possibly the foreseeable future. And you have Eason waiting in the wings to theoretically take over that spot that doesn't leave really any room for Brissett other than just, Hey, being the guy in an emergency situation. And frankly, he's too good to be that kind of guy. Right. And then as far as like the, the trade that I think maybe isn't as likely, but still one that I, you know, I think could be a good one. The cold trade, if you will. Sure. Um, the Colts trade a 2021 third round draft pick. Their their 2021 third round draft pick to the Eagles for Alshon Jeffrey. Um, another, you know, more of the receiver that B Scott and I were talking about a couple of weeks ago, kind of that taller, just go up and get it wide receiver as yeah. opposed to just kind of the smaller, faster guy. Um, you know, you know, he's the Colts have the cap space to take on his contract. It's not a, and it's not an egregious contract sure. either. It's just more than probably, you know, what the Eagles want to pay. The Eagles have been without 
Alshon Jeffrey for, you know, a good chunk of the season yeah. already, you know, they hasn't played in a while. So who knows when he's going to be back to full form, right? You, you give him kind of a new, uh, you know, a new, new surroundings, that yeah. kind of thing. And then, you know, I, I know I can hear him right now that B Scott will be like, well, Chris Ballard doesn't want to give up that draft capital. Well, that's what I'm saying. And that's what I was bringing up yeah. earlier when I was talking about the Rays and Kevin Cash in the sense that like, sometimes you have to go against, not necessarily against what you t- you typically do, but be willing to go outside the box sure. and do that uh, that thing you wouldn't normally do. Because sometimes that's what it takes to get what you need done. Yeah. done. That's kind of the problem, like, not necessarily the problem, but the problem I had with, the, like, the Pacers head coaching hire is that it was just kind of the, the safe bet and not necessarily the one that, like, was the one that they needed to go out and make. Yeah. Whereas, you know – where, you know, and that's how I would feel about the Colts. They were to be like, well, we would normally, you know, they're like, well, we normally would go for that trade, but we don't want to trade any draft capital. Well, you know what? Sometimes you kind of have to go do that if yeah. you want to get to where you want to go and get the players you want to succeed. And like the Colts are a team that, I mean, they're five and two. These next four weeks are going to show uh, show us what kind of a team they are. And if they, yeah. you know, if they can add that piece and win, you know, even two, uh, you know, go two and two, go 500 during that stretch, you yep. feel a lot better about this team going forward into the playoffs where in a season where I know they're getting hot now, but the chiefs have definitely looked beatable. The yes. Ravens have looked beatable. Mm-hmm. The Steelers will see how, you know, they're, they, you know, we'll see how good they're going to be. I mean, obviously they're good now, but I mean, yeah. we'll see if they can keep that momentum up. But I mean, sure. obviously the Colts are in a position to be, a top contender in the AFC. So that be willing to make that move and say, you know, yes, we typically wouldn't make this move in a normal year, but you know, we have to go and try yeah. to make that move. So I, that's why, I, like I said, it's a cold take for that reason because the sure. Colts don't typically like to trade their draft capital, but it's one that I think it, it would be a good one for them to go out and do. Yeah. And I mean, and, and to argue with theoretical B Scott and with you to flip yeah. that argument around is, I mean, if you want to sit here and tell me that Ballard doesn't trade his, doesn't trade his draft capital. I, I mean, he just did for DeForest Buckner. He gave up yeah. the first rounder, which True. imagine what it takes for Ballard, a guy like Ballard to give up a first rounder and I mean, and obviously that trade is working out. DeForest Buckner is incredible, absolutely worth the price of admission. So, I mean, yeah, if, if, if a trade like that is on the blocks and the only thing potentially holding a Mallard up is, well, oh, I don't know if I want to give up my trade cap, my draft capital, he absolutely will because he has shown that if he can give up a first rounder for a guy like that, he'll give up a third rounder if he feels it's it's necessary. He he will make the moves that's need to get done. I, just, I love me some Chris Ballard. I really do. So really quick, my hot and cold, uh, since I kind of got this last minute, I don't have a necessarily a full, beautiful yeah. dra- or trade <laughs> scenario played out here. Um, but my hot one is actually one that I have heard the last couple of weeks. I don't, I don't know how I personally feel about it, even though it makes a lot of sense for a lot of different reasons. It's, hey, familiar trade partners when you talk the Colts and the Jets, mm-hmm. look at Sam Darnold. I mean, I know he's not you know, the, the New York is New York. They're, 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 they're very harsh on their guys, even though obviously that whole roster needs help. Not even just, it's not all on Sam Darnold for why they look the way they look this year. But if Ballard feels like not even necessarily that Rivers or Eason isn't the guy and Darnold is, if the price is right, look out for Ballard to make a move to, to make a blockbuster move, if you will, and go get a, a young guy like Sam Darnold, who absolutely, you know, still has this, essentially his whole career ahead of him. Um, so that would be a, a, a very, very interesting move. And my gold one, man, you, you mentioned a trade with the, with the Dallas Cowboys. I'll give you one that's, that's probably ice cold, but it, it makes me smile just thinking about it. Finding a way to trade for a guy like Zeke, 
getting a getting Ezekiel Elliott here in Indy. I mean, we've seen what he has done when he has a full, healthy, amazing offensive line that can run block for him. Um, not saying he can't do it without that, but seeing what he's been able to do with Dallas in the past, if you get him on a full roster here in Indy, I mean, I know obviously the running back room looks pretty good right now, but you have to think about the fact that, you know, technically your, your running back one went down week one in Marlon Mack and he's in a contract year. So I don't know what he's going to, what if right. he's coming back um, or what, what he's going to look like theoretically even coming back. So you have to obviously like, you, you have to build for worst case scenario. And if you have a chance to get a guy like Zeke to just kind of pair with, with your, your room of, of, of Taylor coming into his second year at that point next year and Wilkins and Hines and everybody. I mean, you fill out that running back room. I mean, really you kind of close that out and, and, and build a formidable rushing attack. Right. And I think the thing that goes for the Zeke argument is the fact that like, yes, Zeke is one of the best running backs in the league, but at the same time, it's a position in, in the, the running back position that isn't as valued as the exactly. wide receiver position, you know, and on from there. So like, even though, um, you know, you, you even though I mean, because trading Zeke, you would probably have to trade some draft picks, sure. Um, you know, and that kind of thing, and, and and I think that would be worth it, and I think that would be the reason why is because okay, we're gonna get Zeke, which is a perfect fit for us, gives us that running back, and gives us a good pass catcher out of the backfield yep. as well. But also, um, <clears throat> you know, we're gonna you know trade some draft capital, but it's gonna be worth it, and it's for you know, it's for. Um, you know, a position that, you know, and Dallas would be giving up a position that like, yes, it would be tough to let go of Zeke, but at the same time, maybe you need, you know, you know, they can still find another good running back oh, yeah. that still fits their scheme, whatever. Exactly. And so I, I think that's what that kind of trade idea has going for it. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's essentially, yeah. What it is, is it's, it's as much as you're, you're saying on one side, yeah, you're, you're trying to replace one of, if not the top back in the league. I mean, as you mentioned, the running back shelf life is, is what it is. It's about three and a half to four years on average. And I mean, you know, it is what it is. The NFL is a, is a business first and foremost. Owners show us that all the time. Teams show us that all the time by cutting guys and making trades for fan favorites and sending them away because, hey, we got to, I mean, it's either pay them or, or ship them out of here. And more often than not, now we're seeing that. So, yeah, I mean, it would be really interesting. Those would be some interesting trade deadline decisions. Well, that will do it for this week's edition of the Crash Course Podcast. Uh, Chris, real quick, again, thanks for joining us this week. And hey, where, no can, where can we find you? So, yeah, on Twitter, you can find me at Mr. Topher. That's M-I-S-T-E-R spelled out. Uh, Topher, T-O-P-H-E-R, 92. Um, and uh, at on YouTube, I do actually have a channel with one whole video. Up one whole video. Since, this, since March. It's been, it's been fun. But uh, that is 4th Gen Potato. Spelled out again as well, F-O-U-R-T-H-G-E-N-P-O-T-A-T-O. Thanks. Yeah, it's been fun. Yeah, for sure. And then remember, you can follow us at Crash Course FM on Twitter, uh, Crash Course Podcast on YouTube, new uh, video coming out um, on Friday, so you won't miss that, new memory lane. Crash Course Podcast on Facebook, where we do stream live every Monday. And you can also listen weekly on uh, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, wherever podcasts can be heard, you can hear the Crash Course Podcast. Uh, we will, again, want to wish uh, the best to B. Scott and his family. Hope every, hope we can have him back in the in the show next week as well. Um, but uh, do plan on having a podcast. If that changes, that's, again, another reason why you want to be locked in uh, to the social medias as well. So uh, we are hoping to be back next week with another podcast. But until then, have a good one, everybody.